0: This is the Talent Talks podcast from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. I'm Alan Caesar. My guest today is John Phillips, Embry-Riddle's Director of Athletics for our Daytona Beach campus. He graduated in 1990 with a degree in professional aeronautics and finished a master's in aeronautical science immediately afterward in 1992. He also played baseball for the Eagles at the time. He returned to Embry-Riddle in 1997 to be our first Director of Sports Marketing and Promotions and has stayed here working in athletics ever since. JP, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: I Always love talking about Embry Riddle, and uh, glad to be here today. Excellent.
0: Uh, you were in the Air Force before you came to Embry Riddle. Uh, how did you find out about the university and decide to go? You
1: yeah, know, it was a long, long time ago, but uh, you know, I was, I was on active duty at Langley Air Force Base in Hampton, Virginia, which is a, a beautiful part of the country, and uh, I worked in an F-15 squadron there and uh, o- always knew that I wanted to uh, further my education and, uh, and and go on to do something. And quite honestly, prior to landing there at Langley, I was not familiar with Embry-Riddle. I, I did not really know about it or anything. I grew up in, in Maryland, and uh, but uh, they, I went to the base education office, and there was a couple of options, and... Of course, Embry-Riddle uh, had, a, had a great ring to it with Aeronautical University as part of it, and uh, so that fit right in with what I was looking for and uh, started taking classes there. That was what was called at that time the extended campus of Embry-Riddle, and, uh, and and the rest, I guess, is history. Yeah, the extended
0: campus, for the listeners who don't know, is what turned into a worldwide campus. Uh, how did you decide on a degree
1: in professional aeronautics? Quite honestly, that's uh, you know, it, it was the easiest degree to get. <laughs> and I know that, that kind of sounds bad, right? But uh, the professional aeronautics degree, the way it works is you get credit for your military experience. So if you have real life experience, in, 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 in my case, in the Air Force, they evaluate what you've done, the education you've gotten, the hands-on experience you've been through, and they give you a certain amount of credits for your work. And I think I got 42 or 45 credits for my military experience, And so, you know, as a fiscally conscious person at that time, I looked at it and said, well, that's 42 credits I don't have to pay for. Uh, And even though the Air Force was paying for part of it through the GI Bill, I thought that's gonna get me through faster and cheaper. And I always knew I would go to graduate school. So I kind of felt like what my undergraduate degree was in wasn't as important necessarily. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Um, So the pro aero degree was a perfect fit for me for those reasons, I got my credits. Uh, I started taking classes at night, and then just prior to getting off active duty, um, when you were on active duty at that time, the, the military paid for ninety percent of your tuition. So I'd go into the base education office and, and write a check for you know twenty-two bucks or something to pay for a class, <laughs> which which doesn't happen anymore at Embry Riddle. But uh, I actually started doing what was at that time our, our distance learning program because I wanted to get as many credits as possible before I got off of active duty. And so the last two classes I took. Uh, if you can imagine, again, this is 1989. I got a package in the mail that had six or eight cassette tapes in it mm-hmm. and a textbook. Okay. And
0: uh, the, audio cassettes or VHS? Audio cassettes. Oh, wow. So you, you
1: pop in the audio cassette into your boom box <laughs> and you got your book and you listen to some professor drone on and on about, you know, whatever the topic might be, read your book, and then you go to the base education office and you take a test. And if you it's what's today's online education system in a lot of ways, Um, much more simplified, obviously, go in, take your take your test. And if you pass it, you get a you get three credits and you get a grade. And uh, and I went through a couple of a couple of classes that way, uh, right, right there on Langley Air Force Base in the very early version of distance learning. (laughs) So you were in an F-15 squadron. Uh, What did you do? I worked in flight operations, and so what that meant is uh, I was kind of the liaison between the uh, b- between the pilots and the command center who was uh, kind of running the, uh, the everything that was going on. So uh, whether that's weather briefings or we, we were an alert squadron. At Langley Air Force Base, uh, the first TAC fighter wing at that time had three squadrons of F-15s, and then we were an active-duty alert uh, barn. We we had a five minute alert hangar. If uh, somebody flew without a flight plan or tried to you know invade the United States from mm-hmm. uh, from overseas, we were we were on scramble. And uh, so I was liaison to kind of serve as a communications uh, person between the maintenance folks who are prepping airplanes, the, the tower, the weather, all sorts of stuff. And if, uh, you know, F-15s took off and they went out to go fly in some of our airspace off the coast by, uh, by Norfolk, for example, and a cloud deck moved in, they'd move somewhere else. And I'm coordinating where they're going to go and how they're going to get there. And then when they fly back if their planes broken I'm letting folks know what needs to be fixed on that particular aircraft or whatever it might be. so it was a really cool job uh, a lot of multitasking uh, mm-hmm. multiple phone lines, multiple radios, multiple sources of communication to all sorts of people uh, all all over base and, and quite honestly all over the world for that matter. Um, but it was a it was a great it was a great job great great job
0: Excellent. So what did you do between uh, graduating in 92 and then coming back to Embry-Riddle in 97?
1: Yeah, so after I finished my undergrad in 1990, went straight into graduate school. And and, and quite honestly, one of the reasons I stayed to do that right then at that time was I could keep playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed you know, playing baseball for Embry-Riddle. And I, I knew I had the rest of my life to work. I wanted to go to graduate school, but when do you go? Well, if you don't go right away, I'm not going to come back and play baseball at 42. Right. Um, so I got to just keep playing at that point. So I kept playing, went through, did my under, uh, finished my undergrad, got my master's degree, and then once I graduated. Great. So uh, what position did you play? I was an infielder, mostly second base. Yeah. Were you any good? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, I'm really lucky. I played on the baseball team back in the early days of embry baseball. How about that? Oh, okay. uh, no, <laughs> there you I, go. <laughs> I, I, I hit over 300 my senior year. Okay. Uh, the only reason I remember that is my college coach who I still stay in touch with? He reminds me of that every time I see him. Hey, you were a great <laughs> player. You hit over three hundred uh, for me, and uh, I don't know. I stole like sixteen or eighteen bases that year. Um, I, I was. I was a starter uh, for for three consecutive years, and uh, in a in a, in a in a solid uh, solid role uh, for the baseball team back then. So, right. But back to your original yeah, question, yeah. yeah so I so I, uh, I I finished in '92. I got a job for a for a startup company uh, mm-hmm. here in town. Uh, my roommate who was my undergraduate roommate here at Embry-Riddle, uh, he had gone to work for them right when, when he and I finished our undergrad, I went into grad school, he went to work for them right away. And, uh, he said, you should come work for us. It's a you know, growing company, got a lot of good things going on. And so I did, uh, applying nothing that I did at Embry-Riddle, uh, for that company. It was a small computer based company doing computer training and, uh, and, and again, being a startup, I think I was like the eighth employee hired. Uh-huh. and uh and evolved into that and I, I did mostly sales and marketing i went on the road and uh did trade shows for the university or for the university, for the company and uh and, and and really enjoyed it but i was literally living out of a suitcase did about 40 trade shows a year uh-huh. uh, for five years and then uh, and then ultimately uh got an opportunity to come back here on campus so did you ever think about a, a career in baseball uh av- after graduation I, th- I thought about it a lot, but nobody ever nobody else <laughs> wanted to think about it. Maybe, maybe behind the scenes in the, uh, in the broadcasting booth or, or somewhere else. But you know it's funny, having worked in sports now for, for going on you know 22 or 23 years, I guess, in, in the collegiate space, I never thought about working in sports as a kid. My dad worked for NASA while I was a kid. He retired from NASA after 37 years. I grew up in the space business, they, so the, this whole thing made perfect sense. I played sports my whole life, all the way through high school, obviously all the way through college. But I never thought of working in sports. That wasn't that just didn't seem normal. I didn't. I, I, I love what I'm doing now, and if I had known that it was this cool back in high school, maybe I would have done it straight out of, straight out of high school at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, never never really thought about it at that at that point. But it's evolved into. Um, you know what I think is, is is the greatest job in the world. I love I love supporting Embry Riddle. I love being around collegiate athletics, and I love the mix that we have of student and athlete here at Embry Riddle.
0: You didn't know that at the time when you were coming back, though, did you?
1: No, absolutely yeah.
0: not. What what is it that motivated you to sort of make a little bit of a career change and come back to Embry Riddle?
1: Yeah, and I, so I so I come back to Embry Riddle honestly, and and uh, th- this goes back to. Um, you know, I guess one of the reasons that I'm here today is as as an alumnus for the university. You know, what do our alumni programs do? So I was playing the role of good Embry Riddle alumnus at that time in 1997. And I came back on campus for a, uh, a lunch that Coach Ritter, the basketball coach and athletic director at the time, was speaking at. And he went on and on about Emory Riddle and all the good things, and he wasn't having to sell me because I knew all the things he was saying, but he's just such a motivating person and motivating speaker. I got fired up about Emory Riddle. And I was working in marketing, traveling the world, Mm -hmm. and uh, I thought one day I'd like to not just travel 40 weekends or 40 weeks out of the year and be home. And so I made a comment to Coach Ritter at that alumni event. I said, someday, when our athletic program gets big enough that you need someone to market it in the community, I would love to talk to you. Six months later, I went to work for him as the director of sports marketing and promotions. I didn't go to that lunch thinking I was looking for a job. I didn't go to that lunch thinking I was gonna come back to work for Embry-Riddle, but he got me so excited about what was going on here and I had some experience that I thought, man, I could mesh these two things together and come out with something pretty nice. And it's, uh, the, the, the rest is history as they say. So when you came on to
0: work in athletics, what is it that you sort of came on to do? What was your primary goals?
1: Yeah, so I was the director of sports marketing and promotions, the first person ever to sit in that job. Uh, so it wasn't like I was filling a position that existed. There wasn't a playbook for me to follow. Uh, it was kind of make it up as you go along. And of course, I had no experience in that career field. I had marketing experience, but not in sports marketing. So essentially, I like to call it, I was in charge of money in the program and people in the seats. So. In a nutshell that means uh, oftentimes if you go to a sporting event you'll see whether it's a baseball game football game basketball game you'll see advertising billboards sometimes they're on the outfield fence at a baseball game sometimes they're on the scoreboard at a basketball game they're around the stadium in football whatever those things are or uh, whatever sporting event you're in so I was in charge of money in the program which was selling sponsorships in the community and also selling tickets in the community and then people in the seats whether that's selling tickets to the community or getting our students excited about coming to sporting events and of course the students don't generate any revenue per se because they get to go to every sporting event for free as long as they have a valid eagle card but that was my job get money in the program and put butts in the seats to come uh, watch our sporting events.
0: So the program has grown a lot in the couple of decades since you've been here. Was there like an inflection point in the program when when it started to sort of really build on its own momentum?
1: Yeah, I think there was a couple of them. So athletics here at the Daytona Beach campus started in 1989, uh, which is right around the time I got here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was very young, very inexperienced at that point. No scholarship money and no facilities. At that point in 1989, we had five sports, baseball, basketball, soccer, tennis, and golf, and they were all for men. So five sports, all male sports, and all playing off campus. Baseball played down at Jackie Robinson Ballpark. Basketball at that time was bouncing between Mainland High School and Daytona Beach, community college as it was called at that point in time uh and tennis was over at pelican bay soccer was all over the place wherever they could find a vacant field and of course golf has never been on campus and and probably never will be uh playing at local local golf courses but the program evolved and then a couple years later of course the basketball team moved into silver sands middle school so we got to have our own (laughs) arena that we could practice in and play rather than bouncing between the high school and the junior college um but then the breakthrough was probably during the first breakthrough, I'll say, it was probably during the uh, President was administration when we opened the ICI Center. That was 1995, the first major facility on the Daytona Beach campus dedicated to uh, intramurals, rec sports, and, of course, varsity sports as well. We played our first games that year. We added women's volleyball that same year, so added an arena and added a first women's athletic program in 1995 and volleyball and men's basketball played in the ICI Center and I think that was kind of the breakthrough that students had a facility on campus where they could go and support the Eagles and I think that was probably the first breakthrough for us.
0: So it can be kind of risky to switch uh, competing uh, to competing in a different division Mm. like we did from going from uh, NAIA to NCAA Division II what kind of factors went into making that decision?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So fast forward, that was a breakthrough number one in 1995, and then the biggest breakthrough number two would have been in 2014 when we made a decision on the Daytona Beach campus to to move from NAIA uh, into the NCAA into Division II. And I think as, as our program evolved over the years, and not just wins and losses, and not just how many teams we had, but the overall success. You know, we've built a soccer stadium, baseball stadium, softball stadium, tennis courts, track and field complex. Now lacrosse. We have a true vibrant intercollegiate athletic program and our infrastructure grew to accommodate that. And at a certain point, we almost outgrew the NAIA and that's nothing against the NAIA at all, but it's generally smaller schools. Uh, and we were one of those smaller schools when we first started athletics. Mm -hmm. Uh, not a lot of great support, not a lot of facilities, but we evolved into where we have now 20 sports, um, Nine for men, 10 for women, and then co-ed cheerleading makes up our 20-sport program. So uh, as we evolved and we we're just looking for higher levels of competition, uh, better branding, uh, and also we want to compete on the field and court against the schools that we compete against in recruiting overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, that's nothing against the NAI schools that were in our previous conference in the Sun Conference, but we don't really academically recruit against schools like Ave Maria University weber international warner uh, saint thomas florida memorial Th- those are not the comparable schools to Embry riddle overall our new conference in ncaa division two as part of the sunshine state conference rollins college florida tech florida southern college university of tampa uh, much i won't say bigger because that everybody always thinks of enrollment as bigger but but maybe better known uh, more substantial universities uh, with with a better organization and better infrastructure, uh, as as well to uh, provide a good experience for our student athletes and also the fans and boosters that go and support our teams as well. So it's been a it's been a good move for us and the right move.
0: Well, so our student
1: athletes consistently have
0: a higher GPA, uh, uh, average GPA than the general student body. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you pull that off? Is that a thing that sort of happens on its own or is it there like a support system among coaches? and
1: stand-up? Yeah, there's there definitely doesn't happen on its own. So we, we have a motto that started under Coach Ritter's leadership and it's going to continue as long as I'm here and hopefully forever of the student person player. And that's in that order by design. The student comes first. You've got to be a great student who has an interest in one of Embry-Riddle's academic programs. You can't just come here and want to become a, you know, an elementary education major and, and teach kindergarten. We don't offer that degree here. We're not going to try to fake it and put you in a degree that doesn't make sense for you just because you want to play your sport. Find a degree that you want, that you are qualified to be in, and then uh, be a great student just like every other student on campus and hopefully even be better than the average student body. Then the person part, that goes to our branding. You know, we want when you walk across campus wearing an Embry-Riddle basketball shirt or Embry-Riddle baseball or go out in the community and represent Embry-Riddle with a sweatshirt or or whatever it might be, we want you to carry yourself at a high level with great character and great integrity so that people say, wow, that guy or girl, whether they're on a sports team or not on a sports team, that walked through here with an Embry-Riddle shirt on was really impressive. He was nice and polite and carried himself well or herself well, uh, and that will go back to support our university. The 130-some-odd thousand alumni that have come before us have built a great brand and great reputation for Embry-Riddle, and it's our job to continue it moving forward. So that's the person part. And then the player, you know, we make no shame about it. We like to win. Uh, We have no shame in trying to win championships but never at the expense of the first two, the student and the person. And then going back to the student, we do provide services for our student-athletes. They, they do miss class sometimes for sporting events. Uh, if there's a game in Miami, for example, if we're playing Barry University at 730 on Wednesday night, which is when men's basketball plays, they might have to leave class at, at noon that day to drive down to Miami to play the game that night. They are still responsible for all the work they got to make it up ahead of time or on the back end and so we provide opportunities for them with uh, tutoring services above and beyond what the academic advancement center provides Uh, there are additional tutoring services that are provided to help make up for that work but uh, the bottom line it all starts with the coaches recruit the right student who is capable of being here on their own free will and wants to be here and you're going to be successful and and we stay on top of them as well. The student-athletes know if you're not academically qualified, you can't keep playing your sport. And so they have an incentive to get good grades, and we've proven it for 19 years in a row. 19 years in a row student-athletes have had a higher grade point average than the, uh, than the regular student body. And proud to say this past fall, student-athletes had a 3.22 overall grade point average. Um, and we have 430 student-athletes. Um, so that's, that's a good number. The campus average, is it varies, but not by much because there's almost 7,000 students. Mm-hmm. It's about usually around 2.9, 2.91. So we're going to be significantly above the campus average from this, this past fall.
0: Yeah. Uh, so we have athletes from all over the
1: world uh, competing on our teams.
0: What, what's it like recruiting at an international level?
1: It's a, it's, it's a challenge, no doubt. But honestly, the international students do incredibly well here academically, incredibly well. I'm really proud to, uh, I hate to single out one sport, but I know this one off the top of my head, so I will. Uh, Samantha Bohan, our women's soccer coach. 14 of our 22 women's soccer players this past fall got a 4.0 GPA. 14 of 22 got a perfect (laughs) straight A's in every class. Uh, And they made it to the NCAA Sweet 16. They went to the national tournament and won their first game. They won their second game and then lost on a heartbreaker in the third round of the NCAA tournament but they have phenomenal grades and of those 14 with the perfect 4.0s I think I think 12 of them are international students so they're uh, they're, they're great students uh, but it's it's challenging to recruit from overseas because you can't travel all that often yeah. you know Sam actually just got back from a wonderful trip to Iceland and Sweden where she was doing some recruiting but you can't go visit all of them all the time because they're you know you can't possibly afford to go to every country around the world um, to, to visit and recruit. So we do a lot of recruiting through Skype. Uh, okay. it's, it's funny. Sometimes I'll walk down the hall and I'll see Samantha with her laptop having a conversation with somebody while she's walking around. And she's basically doing a campus tour huh. with her laptop using the camera on her, on, on her MacBook to give the campus tour to this student athlete who's in another part of the country. And she'll be over here on this side of campus. We're in the Maury Hosseini Student Union right now recording this. And she'll be over here showcasing this beautiful facility. She'll be out at the soccer field showcasing it, and our other coaches do the same thing. Sometimes it's FaceTime with your with your iPhone. Other times you can do it with your laptop. Uh, but whatever your resource is, you just make you make do with what you got. Uh, this is a I won't say it's an easy place to sell, but. Today's a pretty good day, 70 degrees, sunshine, <laughs> beautiful Daytona Beach, Florida. There's a lot of incentive for people from other parts of the world to to want to come here. And, of course, the great embry degree that folks are going to get certainly plays a big, big part in that as well.
0: Right, right. You've been the announcer for Eagles basketball for about two decades now. Uh, tell me how you started doing that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's a funny story. Coach Ritter, I talked about earlier, he's a, he's a pretty good motivator. So he came to me after he hired me uh, to be the director of sports marketing. As we're getting ready for basketball season, he said, hey, I wanna talk to you about something. Uh, I'd like you to be the play-by or the color commentator for our radio broadcasts. And I was like, coach, you know I played baseball here, not basketball. <laughs> I don't know that much about basketball. He goes, oh, you'll work with Bob. Bob Bells was our announcer at the time, professional you know, DJ, he was on the local radio station, new sports, new radio. He goes, you'll work with Bob, pat you on the back. You'll be fine. <laughs> so you can't say no to, to, to Coach Ritter. So, so I sign up. I become the color commentary uh, voice for the Eagles for, for that season, which was 1997 through 98, and then the following year, 1998 through 1999. Uh, at the end of the 99 season, Bob Bells decides he's going to retire, uh, move back to Atlanta, be closer to his grandkids. So my like, Coach, what are we going to do about play-by-play announcer you know, with Bob's retirement? He says, you've been sitting next to Bob for two years you'll be fine. <laughs> so same speech, you'll be fine. So, uh, so I, so I, 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 dig in, I start listening to some folks on radio and I had grown up listening to radio quite a bit in sports and I, mm-hmm. and I was, a I never knew it, but I, I, I love listening to sports on the radio as a kid. And, uh, so to have that chance, I, I, I did my homework and tried to model myself after, you know, a couple people that I enjoyed listening to and took over the play by play duties that year and pretty much have done it Uh, Ever since I I haven't missed too many games, quite honestly, since 1999, home or away for a number of years. This year, we're only doing the home games. We're not doing the road games any longer because of the Sunshine State Conference Digital Network where you can watch games online. But uh, virtually every men's basketball game since 1997, uh, I have been at the at the microphone calling the play by play or the color commentary or more often than not doing both. Because most of the time I, I I work alone, so I am the I'm the play by play and the color guy uh, during during most of those games. But it's been an absolute blast for me, and it's it's spun off into other you know broadcasting opportunities for me.
0: Yeah, so you've done uh, you've done announcing for the Daytona Beach uh, minor league baseball team and race coverage for the WNDB, the Rolex 24 hour, the uh, Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so did the um, it seems like you covered a little bit about how you got good at that as sort of by listening and, and practicing. Did it yeah. come
1: naturally to you? Yeah, I, I feel like it did. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical, you know, collegiate athlete or former collegiate athlete, as case may be. I grew up watching sports. I love sports. I, I keep up with them. Uh, some I keep up with more than others. But, uh, you know, WNDB, after broadcasting the Emmy Riddle games on their station for a number of years, they came to me and offered me a position to do high school football Play by play for both Mainland and Seabreeze High School. Uh, whoever was playing out at the big stadium there on LPGA Boulevard, uh, Municipal Stadium, uh, at the time now it's called Daytona Stadium because uh, they've, they've had a, a corporate change. Uh, but they, they hired me to do football broadcast coverage, and I was the play by play guy for a number of years and, and enjoyed doing that, having played football all the way through high school. And then, uh, you know, probably eight, eight or nine years ago, I can't remember exactly how long, they came to me and said, Hey, we'd like to add you to our NASCAR. Uh, team to do the pre-race show for the Daytona 500 actually it was for the Coke Zero when it started mm-hmm. it was in the summer they called me in June I remember vividly where I was I was I was in Rochester New York at a seminar uh, and they said hey uh, we'd like you to help us out with the Coke Zero 400 which of course traditionally has been July 4th weekend mm-hmm. uh, at, at Daytona International Speedway I'd like to add you to our broadcast team and it, I kind of felt like it was deja vu all over again with Coach Ritter I was like I, I watch NASCAR but I'm not that much of a fan i don't follow it that closely they're like yeah that's why we're calling you in june the race is in july (laughs) you've got time you'll be fine there goes that line again (laughs) you'll be fine and so they dig in start doing my homework find out you know who's the sponsor of dale jr's team and who's the sponsor of tony stewart's team and you know so on and so forth through the driver so that when i'm interviewing drivers or interviewing crew chiefs or owners or whoever it might be. I kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit and it's evolved. So they kind of gave me the tryout with the Coke 400 race in the summer. And then that next spring added me to the Daytona 500 team. And, uh, and then a year later added to the Rolex 24 team, which is a whole nother level of knowledge because there's multiple different types of cars, uh, drivers from all over the world and, and, and literally a 24 hour marathon of a race, um, that, uh, is, 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 a whole nother story in itself, but it's evolved into something I enjoy doing. And hopefully the product that i put out over the years has been acceptable to WNDB. I think so. Cause they, they keep asking me back. They keep here. calling you. Yeah, yeah. That's a good indicator. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> it's February in Daytona beach and the Daytona 500 is about two weeks away and I'm gearing up for a couple of days out at the racetrack. So I'm, I'm I'll be back again this year. So rock and roll. Yeah. So
0: you're known a bit for having a sort of never having uh, there's never a bad day kind of mentality. Agreed. Uh, what's your secret formula?
1: <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe it's a lot of Mountain Dew or something. But uh, you know what? I, I, I really think the most important thing is it starts with where I work and what I do. I love Embry-Riddle. I love being here. I wouldn't be here 30 years later if I didn't. When you come to a place like this that has you know, given me so much as an education and as a you know as a career, uh, I, I, I just feel like I need to be here every day to give back. I love Embry-Riddle. I have brought my wife here. She now works in the, in, in Homeland Security. Uh, she's a department chair over there and a, and a, and a professor. Uh, she spent 22 years in the attorney general's office. Prior to that, she was uh, brought on board as an adjunct faculty member teaching business law and law and policy and, and things like that. And it's evolved into a full-time job for her. We have 18-year-old twins that are that are both freshmen here at Embry-Riddle. They live in the dorm right over there in, in, in New Hall, too. Uh, and then I have a 16 year old daughter that maybe she's the only one that doesn't come to every every day right now, <laughs> the rest of the family's here. So maybe she'll be next. But, uh, you know, this place has just been, a, uh, become home to me. And, uh, I quite honestly, like we were joking earlier and as we were preparing, I needed 30 credits when I came here and I thought I would do 15 in the fall, 15 in the spring, graduate and go back to the Washington DC area where I grew up and my dad worked for NASA. I really thought that was what life was going to be work in the Washington DC area again. And here we are 30 years later and i'm still in daytona and i've never left uh it's an awesome place a wonderful university i've gotten to work for uh dr Slewa, dr ebbs dr johnson now dr butler uh every everybody other than jack hunt the original president I've, I've been here part of their tenure i've watched this university evolve over the years both physically in the structure mm-hmm. most of the places where i went to class those buildings don't exist anymore the old alphabet soup is all right. is all gone uh, but I've, but I've watched it evolve into a beautiful place and a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. And while the names and the people might change, it's still a, uh, a place I have great passion about and love coming to work every day. Yeah.
0: What are your three very best days or experiences you've had in your career here?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um,
0: you can thank coach Ritter for that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so well, I, I, I got to start with the, uh, with the national championship that we won in March of 2000 in men's basketball. Uh, So we were in Branson, Missouri when we won the national championship. If you think about it, winning a national championship in any sport at any level is an incredible accomplishment. We did that in March of 2000. Ten years prior to that, we had just started basketball on our campus in 1990 with no scholarships and no gym. So from ten years of no uniforms hardly back then, to winning a national championship was was a wonderful uh, memory for me, and not just for our athletic program, but I think it really brought our entire institution together. And they, I think, at that point, a lot of people realized, "Wow, athletics can work at Embry-Riddle," and it 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 really has has worked uh, quite well uh, over the years. So that's definitely got to be one. Uh, the other one, more more recent. Uh, was the, the day that I got to stand up in the Henderson Welcome Center and announce that we had been officially accepted into NCAA Division II. That took an cr- incredible amount of work by dozens and dozens of people. Uh, I think that was on a Monday. Uh, the Friday prior uh, was when the NCAA made their phone call. So they sent out a notice to us, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're going to be calling you with our decision and not everybody gets in this is not a guarantee there were several schools that applied that either got denied entirely or got held back go through the provisional membership one more year if you're not ready so we knew our call was coming at uh, i don't know if it was like two o'clock or something on friday afternoon uh, i'm in dr butler's office waiting for the ncaa phone to ring and the the, the red phone rings yeah. and dr butler answers and uh, and and they were were happy to tell us that we had made it in, and that following Monday we had the press conference and invited the entire university to let them know that we all and it was we it was this NCAA move is not just athletics; it impacts alumni, it impacts the compliance office, the registrar's office, financial aid office. Everybody on our campus was involved in it, and uh, that was a big day for us. That's definitely the top two there. Ooh, what what's what's going to be what's going to be third place? Um, Maybe something more recently and more personal. Uh, when when my kids, you know, they're they're I have boy girl twins. Uh, when they both decided to come to Embry Riddle, um, because you know there's there's, I won't say there's pressure, but you know to go to the school where mom and dad work, that's mm-hmm. kind of an easy decision. But they they could have done whatever they wanted, and we would have supported them one way or the other. Uh, but they both decided to come here, and you know we're 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 only one semester in, but they both did awesome in the fall. Uh, both of them got uh, dean's list, uh, academic recognition, and they're both incredibly happy uh, at Embry-Riddle. And i uh, really happy for them and happy for our family to have everybody here together on a, on a daily basis. That's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Uh, so how can alumni and fans stay connected with uh, Embry-Riddle Athletics?
1: Well, I think one of the easiest ways is, uh, is erauathletics.com. That's the athletic department website here for the Daytona Beach campus e-r-a-u-athletics.com you can follow along and you can you can read the write-ups and the recaps of the games you can see the schedule maybe we're coming to your area if you live in tampa or lakeland or uh, down in melbourne a lot of a lot of alumni there in the space coast we go to florida tech periodically um but then the other thing you can do is you can watch games online uh again that same website erau in this case just hit slash live l-i-v-e And that'll take you to a listing of every game that's going on right now, whether it's home or away, and you can tune in and watch. And it's not pay-per-view, but it's similar to like the ESPN 3 model. ESPN 3 is not the the over-the-airwaves ESPN. It's the online version of ESPN. And uh, so you can watch our baseball games, our basketball games, uh, soccer, volleyball, lacrosse, softball. Uh, right there online and uh, full HD quality. If you have Hulu or or any of those OTT type services, most of them connect in. We have a fire stick at home. It works perfectly fine. I can watch the Emerald basketball games on my big screen TV in the living room and feel like I'm right there. And again, whether that's home or away, because if it's home, I'm going to be at the game, and you're going to listen to my voice <laughs> calling the game for the men's basketball games and occasionally women's basketball or baseball or whatever else. Uh, but when you're on the road, you'll listen to a, an announcer from the other team that's calling the game. But that's a great way to keep up with it, You literally. And we get a lot of alumni, especially out on the West Coast. Some of them are still at work. You know, If you're working at Boeing in Seattle and the basketball game starts at 7 o'clock here in Daytona Beach, So well, it's only 4 o'clock Seattle time. Those guys are tuning in and watching the game from the comfort of their desk or on their cell phone or wherever they might be. And uh, keep up with the Eagles, erau slash live if you want to watch the games. All right. The well, other thing you can do, I've yeah. g- got to get yeah. this in there. Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Twitter.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I uh, definitely I, follow you on tra- Twitter. Because
1: I'm pretty much going to almost only tweet about Embry-Riddle. Uh, I'm not going to let you know what I had for lunch or, uh, or, or where I went out <laughs> over the weekend. I'm not telling you that because you probably don't care. But if you want to know about Embry-Riddle, and it's not just about Embry-Riddle Athletics, about Embry-Riddle. The entire university. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JP underscore Daytona. JP underscore Daytona. And I will keep you up to date with what's going on here on campus. My very, very best to do so.
0: Hello, listeners. Just a quick interruption. Um, due to the outbreak of coronavirus COVID 19, the blue and gold gala that we're about to discuss has actually been postponed. Uh, as of this recording, um, a new date has not been set. But you can get the latest details at ereuathletics.com slash gala for whenever we set the new date. Now, back to the show. So, we'll continue the lightning round in a moment. But uh, first, I'd like to tell our listeners that coming up on April 17th is one of the premier fundraising events here in Volusia County, the Blue and Gold Gala.
1: So, JP, tell me a little bit about that. Why should I be going? Yeah, well, you should be going as a as an Ember person. You should be going to support the Eagles. Um, so, this has evolved. Uh, started in, what was it, 2004, I guess it was. This is the 16th annual event. It started back at that time when we built our tennis courts, the Karate Tennis Complex. The university wanted to build tennis courts for our uh, intercollegiate tennis team. And the university said, we can't just give you all the money to build this. You're going to have to bring something to the table from athletics. So how are we going to bring something to the table? And then literally that meant bring some money to the table. So we decided we're going to have a fundraising event just so happened to be we decided to do a dinner silent auction and these are not new events they happen all over the country all over the world uh virtually every weekend somewhere there's a there's a dinner silent auction going on Uh, so we started the blue and gold gala at that time to pay off our our debt to build the tennis courts essentially we had about 200 people attend that first one was mostly community folks who love Ember riddle and support the eagles Uh, and a few alumni certainly were attending that one as well and, and always have and it's evolved Now, in its 16th year, we take up the entire ICI center, uh, have over 600 attendees, and uh, all the money raised goes to support uh, student athletes and student athlete programs, whether that be a new piece of equipment we might need for the sports medicine area to do rehab for, you know, an injured shoulder or uh, a a new uh, video camera so we can stream our games in full HD. Sometimes as we add new sports and new facilities, we need to add additional cameras. And so it's enhancements to our program. Uh, and also, a portion of the money always goes towards uh, scholarships as well. We feel very strongly that a, a portion of everything we raise needs to go towards scholarships to help out our students and our student-athletes to help, uh, help, help pay for their, uh, for, for, their, for their tuition, for their, for their scholarships. So it's an excellent event. Um, it's, uh, the table sponsorships start at $1,500 and range up to $5,000, uh, or you can buy an individual ticket for $125. It's a wonderful event in terms of food. There's beer, there's wine, uh, fantastic desserts that are in it. And then also you can bid on some really cool things, whether that be silent auction type things like a, a round of golf somewhere, or if you're a nascar fan how about this one we had we had the quarter panel off of tony stewart's car back when tony was tony's retired now he just got inducted into the nascar hall of fame this past weekend uh when he drove for joe gibbs in the home depot Mm -hmm. car the number 20 car uh we had the quarter panel off of his home depot uh chevrolet that we auctioned off last year autographed by tony stewart um we've had all sorts of things vince carter gave us a pair of his shoes from uh from from basketball from the nba star vince carter who of course Grew up here in Daytona, autographed yep. Vince Carter, tennis shoes. Uh, Andre Agassi gave us a pair of shoes years and years ago that he wore in the U.S. Open. Uh, all sorts of things in the silent auction. In the live auction, there's some really cool trips and experiences that uh, we have. A, we just gave away uh, last year. Uh, seven days in Costa Rica at a house down there that a, uh, someone, who, uh, a local person here, donated their home to us. So basically got an all expensive paid in terms of once you get to costa rica uh, Mm -hmm. a a place to stay we've had ski homes in colorado we've had houses in the bahamas um we've had uh, we had uh patty wagstaff the famous uh aerobatic pirate who pilot who uh, works out of st augustine and does some training up there in upset recovery uh i've got a ride with 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 her in one of her planes up there in st augustine we auctioned that off last year some really cool things but uh some memorable opportunities uh, that are that are available in that night and uh, it's just a really fun event about it starts at six goes to about nine nine thirty and uh, annually raises anywhere between hundred and fifty and maybe two hundred thousand dollars a year for uh, for the university so it's a it's a it's a wonderful way to give back as an alumnus or a, a community member to come and support Embry-Riddle on Friday April 17th
0: yeah and clearly has a lot of very direct benefits to the student athletes so listeners can visit uh, erauathletics.com slash gala to reserve their seats today now, are you ready for the lightning round? I am. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you five questions, and uh, you're going to give me five answers. Right, uh So we're going to start off with this. Uh, you're you have uh, Air Force experience, so we'll do the airplane one. You can fly any plane ever made from anywhere to
1: anywhere. What do you choose? Well, I'm going to definitely have to choose the F-15. Uh, got to fly in at one time. While I was uh, I was selected as the airman of the year for our squadron when i was wow. on active duty and one of the perks of that was a uh was was a, a ride an incentive ride in the f-15 so uh, uh captain mike tully and i got to go out and uh slip the surly bonds of earth for a uh, about a, about an hour and eight minutes something like that and uh it was really cool to do it once i'd like to do it again and uh where am i going to fly in my f-15 uh got to do it out west somewhere i think um Maybe uh, well, I spent some time at Nellis Air Force Base deployed mm-hmm. when I was on active duty. We flew in a lot of exercises out there, so maybe we'll take off from Nellis uh, and go up and explore up uh, toward uh, toward Area 51, uh, Tonopah that area. We're not going to get too close, I'm getting in get oh, any okay. trouble, and then we go down <laughs> toward the Grand Canyon, which is just beautiful scenery. And then I'm not sure if the runway at Prescott is long enough for the F-15 to land at. But if we could, we'll go to, we'll go to Prescott and land there. If not, maybe we'll have to go to you know, somewhere close by, whether whether that's down in Phoenix or uh, or up in Flagstaff, or maybe a bigger runway. I just don't know enough about the Prescott runway to see if the F-15 can get there. But I'd like to do it out west in the uh, in the world's greatest air superiority aircraft, the McDonnell Douglas F-15 Eagle. <laughs> Is that a commercial for the F-15? A yeah, bit? there you go. And a little jab at the uh, single-engine lawn darts in the <laughs> F-16 world. Hope I don't mess up that with some of the alumni that fly that plane. A good sure. friendly rivalry there. Yeah, yeah, it's all friendly. I still love friendly. the F-16 and the Air Force Thunderbirds, though. I still a big fan.
0: Big yeah, fan. excellent. All right, so if you could read any uh, only one book for the rest of your life, uh, what would it be? Oh man,
1: that's a that's a tough one. There. I've been doing a lot of John Gordon reading recently. I'm not sure if you're familiar with John Gordon, but he does a lot of sports themed leadership books. Uh, one of which uh, was really really good. You, you win in the locker room first. Hmm. And that translates into the business world, not literally in the sports world. He uses sports analogies in his writing, but you win in the locker room first in that you win as a team in your preparation. And when you show up on game day, maybe game day for you is going to work, going to teach a class, going to be an airline pilot, whatever your job might be. You win in the locker room first. You win in your preparation. You win in your teamwork. You win behind the scenes before you show up on game day. You win in the locker room first by John Gordon. All right who's your favorite cartoon cartoon character? Oh man. I'm pretty, pretty traditional with, 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 with Mickey mouse. I think as a, as you know, living here in Florida, my kids have spent many, many hours and thousands of my dollars at, uh, <laughs> at, at the happiest place on earth. Um, let, let, yeah I'm, I'm going to stick with Mickey Mouse, but second place, this is my wife's my wife's answer. She's a huge Winnie the Pooh fan, so but I can't choose to be winnie the Winnie the Pooh that's my favorite that that's hers though but okay. I'll stick with Mick
0: all right uh so picture your ideal grilled cheese sandwich. Ooh. You're about to take a bite, right yeah what what's what's it made of what's in it?
1: mm man that's a that's a really good one because I do like to eat <laughs> uh well, it's got to be a little, just a lot of cheese. Uh, like double double slices of cheese. Just I'm a traditional American yellow, straight out of the the, the box American cheese. But I think I got to put some bacon on there. Oh yeah. Uh, regular old white bread. I've had it on all sorts of other breads. Rye bread's fine. All uh, all the other breads are good. But I don't want to get in the way of the cheese flavor. So I can keep it just straight regular white bread with bacon, because bacon goes with everything. Yeah. And bacon I- makes everything better.
0: I totally get behind you on the white bread there. Yeah. It's, uh, the other breads are fine. Yeah, but, they're you great. Know, you yeah. don't want to distract from no, the cheese. No
1: distractions from my cheese. <laughs> and if I had a little bit of tomato soup to dip it in, there ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. Uh, if you could live for a week as any person in history, who would it be?
1: Oh, man. I'm going to have to go Cal Ripken. Yeah. Junior. Um, as, a, as a baseball player, baseball fan, someone who grew up in the state of Maryland the iconic baseball player for all Baltimore Orioles fans was Cal Ripken Jr. Not just because he was a phenomenal baseball player, but the guy had the work ethic, you know, 2000 plus. I don't remember the number off the top of my head games in a row. I know that Lou Gehrig had 2130 Cal broke it with 2131. I think he finished with 2200 and something, whatever the number was. But the bottom line is he played over 2000 games in a row. And whether wow. you're playing baseball, football, or showing up to be, just go to work. He showed up for work 2,000 days in a row. Didn't take a day off. Didn't, yeah. hardly took an inning off. Most of those games, he started and played every inning. He was just a, a, a legendary human being for his style of play. He was a great player. He was an all-star. He was an MVP. He's a world champion. But he just came to work every day, worked hard, did his job took care of his teammates but showed up every day at the workplace
0: all right well thanks jp very much for joining us for the talent talks podcast that
1: was awesome i enjoyed my time here hope i didn't talk too long or too much
0: i think we're doing all right we like okay. to keep it to a loose 30 so this is a very loose 30 fair enough <laughs> hopefully
1: uh, the people enjoyed listening to it and again if you uh, want to keep up with the eagles we would love for you to do so erauathletics.com
0: all right The Talent Talks podcast is a production of Wicked Radio and the Embry-Riddle Office of Alumni Engagement. We're coming at you from the maury Hossaini Student Union at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in sunny Daytona Beach, Florida. If you'd like to share your thoughts about our show or suggest a guest to us, we'd love to hear from you. Visit alumni.eru.edu slash podcasts and click the feedback link. Thanks for downloading us. We'll see you next time.